welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. It is wonderful to be with you here this morning as we wrap up our Wise Up series going through the book of Proverbs. Um, If you're joining us for the first time, check it out online. You've missed a few wonderful sessions. And today we're going to be looking at the Father's heart revealed to us through the book of Proverbs. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We just love your presence. Would you speak to our hearts and would you guide us here this morning? In Jesus' name. So this series has been so edifying and thought-provoking. I have loved learning about the treasure trove of wisdom that God has in store for us in the book of Proverbs. It really does reveal more knowledge and insight every time you look. And as we've journeyed through the various different areas of wisdom, I've been mulling over the ways in which God teaches and develops this understanding in us. So before we dive into some scripture, I thought I'd share my reflections about things I think it's helpful to bear in mind when you read the book of Proverbs. Number one, if you're reading the Bible and applying it to anyone else, you're missing the point. Can I confess something to you? When I first read Proverbs about 16 years ago, I might come across a particularly juicy verse about this fool or miscreant or sluggard. I love that word. And I'd find myself conjuring up an image of a person that I think it might apply to. Yes, I'd think, he does gossip a lot. He is a fool. Or dear me, poor whoever it was. They are so lazy. What a shame. I didn't say these things to other people, and nor was I actively seeking to work out who the verses may apply to. But looking back, I can very easily see that my heart attitude was all wrong. I was kind of acting like that teacher of the law that Jesus describes as thanking God that he's not like that awful sinner over there. All the while completely missing the log in my own eye. I'd miss the point of Proverbs. When we read these nuggets of wisdom, we are to apply them to ourselves, either to highlight where we've already headed for folly and destruction, or to warn us from sin and foolishness that we may not yet already have fallen into. I'm bringing this up now because although it could just be me, It's probably quite an easy trap to fall into. And I believe that God is inviting us into a deeper personal understanding of his word for each of us individually. The second thing, which has been mentioned before in this series, is that Proverbs uses poetic imagery to relay meaning and provoke reflection. It teaches wisdom so that we can learn to understand the heart of a matter rather than giving us a kind of step-by-step guide or a list of instructions so that every day we just tick a box. A few years ago, just before dinner time, I said to my son, go and wash your hands in the toilet. He returned looking quite downcast with his hands dripping 
And he said to me, Mummy, why did you tell me I had to wash my hands in the toilet? He'd obeyed me all too exactly, but he'd missed the new ones. He hadn't picked up on my meaning within the instruction. If the book of Proverbs was only meant to be taken completely literally, I could interpret some verses to mean that sexual sin or sexual temptation may be avoided simply by ensuring that one never ends up standing about on a street corner at twilight. Or that insomnia is a guaranteed route to financial success. And I hope that many of you would agree with me that neither is on its own enough. I'd be a lot wealthier if it were. So, instead, Proverbs uses metaphor powerfully to, for example, give us a picture of sin in certain disguises. We also find verses that at first glance may be difficult to decode. One of my favourite parts of Proverbs is chapter 26, starting with verse 4. Do not answer fools according to their folly, or you yourself will be a fool. This is immediately followed by this in verse 5. Answer fools according to their folly, or they will be wise in their own eyes. I've come back to these two verses again and again over the years. I don't believe it's by accident that the first precedes the second. They could have appeared anywhere in the book of Proverbs, and people might have thought it was an accidental contradiction rather than something that has a deeper purpose. I can't always do exactly what both these verses instruct every time I think I've encountered a fool. It's asking me to reflect and consider when one applies over the other. Moreover, and probably more importantly, if instead of looking to justify when I show up someone else's apparent folly, I apply these verses to myself, it can help me to be a far more soft-hearted and teachable person. Quick quiz. Apart from the recurring themes of wisdom versus folly or righteousness versus iniquity and sin, does anyone here know what some of the other most frequently repeated phrases are in the book of Proverbs? Shout them out. Anyone? What was that, Rob? Stuff to do with money. Yeah, anything else? If you've been here through the series, you may have picked up on a couple of the themes. So, um, yeah, allowing for certain variations between one Bible translation and another, there are about 16 proverbs which tell us to fear or trust in the Lord. There are about 18 proverbs which talk about the sluggard, laziness or diligence, and there are 23 proverbs mentioning wealth or money. But there are 28 different verses across the book of Proverbs in which the author or speaker addresses the reader or listener as my son or my child or my children. In ancient Hebrew tradition, there was a beautiful teaching and learning culture which is modelled to us in the book of Proverbs, and it emphasises the deep importance of children learning scriptures by heart from a young age. Often the child would kneel at their parents' feet and be taught to learn diligently and quietly. 
rabbis or the teachers in the synagogues would then go on to disciple one another in a very similar way. So on one level, Proverbs is a collection of wise sayings that a few learned parents are teaching their children. But we know that all scripture is God-breathed. So on another level, when we read Proverbs, we can see Father God inviting his son, his daughter, his children to draw closer, to lean in, kneel beside him and be discipled by him. Rather than being a list of kind of ancient do's and don'ts, this is our Father God in heaven showing us ways that we can live that are good for our hearts and minds. And this morning we're going to examine three Proverbs which encapsulate a certain aspect of Father God's heart. The first one I debated over using at all. It's been taken in a lot of ways over the years and even today. You may have heard these words and not realise they came from the Bible. And sometimes it can bring up a mixed emotional response depending on the context in which you've heard it used. In the end, I did feel it was right that we reflect on this together, as it's a bit of a recurring theme through Proverbs. So I believe there's something important that God wants to teach us today. So Father God, we just offer up any preconceptions and strong feelings that we may have around this topic, and we ask that you would reveal who you truly are again today. This is Proverbs 13, verse 24. Those who spare the rod hate their children, but those who love them are diligent to discipline them. So what is this rod? One of these, kind of Victorian cane type thing. Has any of you heard this verse said or these words spoken in a context outside of the Bible? Yeah, a few people. Have any of you watched the film Matilda? So, this is one of the great supervillains of children's literature. It's Miss Trunchable. She's a tyrant head teacher who terrorises all the pupils in her school. And I first came across a variation of this proverb spoken by her. So I was quite startled when I read the Bible and discovered it was actually in there. In all seriousness, though, when I was an expectant mother, this and similar verses caused Robert and me quite a bit of trouble. We've always wanted to raise our children to love Jesus and in a way in which God has ordained. So could Proverbs mean that I need to discipline them by hitting them with one of these or something similar? As my pregnancy went by, I sought God a lot over this because I wanted to understand and to obey whatever he had to say. It was then that I learned that the Hebrew word used for rod, shvet, I'm not sure if that's a perfect pronunciation, is also in another probably even more famous passage from the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's from Psalm 23. They're some of the most quoted and most Googled verses in the Old Testament. They're sought by followers of Jesus and even people who don't yet know God in times of distress. Does anyone know who wrote it? Any guesses? David, yeah, exactly. So David, who goes on to become probably Israel's most celebrated king, and he's known for his worshippers' heart. But he wasn't actually king when he wrote this psalm. He was himself a shepherd. He was using imagery from his day-to-day life, talking about tools that he had an intimate knowledge of to paint a picture of Father God's heart as he sought to bring him praise. The shvet used wouldn't have looked like this because it would have been ineffectual for guarding and guiding sheep along narrow mountain pathways. I'm actually going to ask Jeff and Rob to come up to demonstrate something for you. I'm quite excited that I get to do this because it's a bit silly. So, shepherds in those days would have two particularly helpful tools, a rod and a staff. (laughs) It's a big stick, a very big stick. So, it's long, particularly, and a lot of them had a hook on the end, but I couldn't find one in Cottage Park with a hook. So, sorry about that. But you've got your sheep, and you're herding a herd, and as you can see, this is useful for keeping my sheep in line, okay? So, there's sort of lots of cliff edges and places that they could fall off, and this one's going to keep them in line. <laughs> Stay in line, Rob. <laughs> and then you've also got this which is pretty useful if something like a wolf comes along and wants to eat your sheep, because then you can clobber it. The thing attacking your sheep is what gets hit. Your sheep get guided. Put these down, because they're not very good to hold, really. (laughs) I don't know how shepherds got used to that, but they're pretty skillful. Okay, thanks, Jeff and Rob. (laughs) Great sheep. (laughs) So... Yeah, even Miss Trunchbull didn't use things like that as a weapon against her pupils. When we understand discipline as a means of keeping someone on the right path and warding off danger, just as a shepherd would prevent a sheep from falling off a cliff or being devoured by a wolf, then we know that this is why Father God equates this with loving us. It makes sense that if you allow things to harm your child or allow them to stray so they fall off a cliff, (laughs) that can look a lot like hatred. Even in the book of Proverbs, any verses that actually speak about physical violence unequivocally condemn it. Let's pause there for a moment. I'm going to need a bit of audience participation. So... It's a bit of an easier quiz question this time, I do hope. Can anyone identify for me, ready, this object? A kettle, look, everyone's so awake, it's great. A kettle, yes, well done. I'm glad that you could recognise that. Okay, does anyone know what it's used for? 
boiling water. Fabulous. So I quite fancy a peppermint tea. <laughs> I've got my mug, my tea bag and my kettle. Am I good to go? Can I make my cuppa? Anything missing? Water. Okay, brilliant. I need some water in the kettle. Thank you. You guys are really helpful. So, I've got some water in the kettle and I'm switching it on and it's not working. What's wrong? I need power. How do I get power? Plugging it in. Okay, brilliant. I'm glad that so many people have used kettles before. So, I've got my kettle. It's got its power source. There's water in it. That's really good. Good. Thank you very much. So, <laughs> bear with me for one second. If you can just imagine in your minds that a proverb from the Bible is a bit like my kettle here. If you've got just the understanding, the knowledge, the piece of information itself, you know what it is, but you're not plugged in to the source of all that wisdom. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit and a bit of wet everywhere else, it's not going to do very much for you on its own. So, how do we get plugged in? How do we get filled? The second proverb that we're going to look at today in conjunction with the first is from chapter 9, verse 10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. In Becky's talk at the start of the sermon series, she and Rowan gave a beautiful explanation of what the fear of the Lord means. It's the revelation and the acknowledgement of who God is, how awesome, praiseworthy, how great and just full of majesty he truly is, alongside an awareness of how we are just none of those things. It also shows us an awe, a reverence of him when we have that understanding. It's the dawning appreciation of how he is the only one deserving of our worship, our full submission, our everything for all our days. His greatness far exceeds anything we could ever imagine, but his love for us sent his son to the cross. Trying to wrap your head around those kind of mind-boggling truths is the beginning of the fear of the Lord. So what about the second part of that verse? Well, to me, this is where we find the answer to how we get plugged in, how we get filled with the Holy Spirit and get his knowledge of the Holy One, which is described as insight. Jesus says to the Samaritan woman in John 4, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is asking you for a drink, meaning himself, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It is our relationship, our intimacy with the source of all this wisdom, with God himself, that makes all the difference in the world. He tells us we only need to ask him and he will fill us with the living water of his Holy Spirit. And just like David describes Father God as his shepherd, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd in John chapter 10. From verse 3 he says, He calls his own sheep by name 
and leads them out. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger because they don't know the voice of strangers. They will run from a stranger. What Jesus is showing us here is the closeness, the intimacy that exists between him and his people. Let's think about the 12 disciples again at the time the Gospels were written. The very word disciple, meaning follower, is used to describe, well, used to describe them is at the root of the word discipline that's in Proverbs 13, 24. Those who love their children will be diligent to discipline them. Jesus tells us that if we encounter him, if we have seen how he behaves and speaks, then we've also seen exactly how our Father in heaven behaves, speaks, thinks about those same things. In the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, Jesus models to us through his relationship with his disciples what fruitful teaching and discipline looks like in real life. And as with them, he invites us to follow him, to live our lives with him and be guided and corrected by him, just like a sheep would have been guided and kept safe by the shepherd's chevette and staff. This only works when you're walking in really close proximity, step by step, near to the Father. It takes a lifetime for this kind of correction as we see it described in Proverbs. But that is deliberate. It's as much about the relationship between the shepherd and his flock as it is about the result. Let's have a quick recap. So when we read through Proverbs or any part of the Bible, it's helpful to bear in mind that we, the reader, are the primary target audience. Proverbs sometimes uses metaphor and imagery or even riddles, which are then helping us to reflect and to kind of take in the deeper wisdom that they hold so we can apply it to our lives in lots of practical situations. Throughout the book of Proverbs, Father God is addressing each and every one of us, his children, to draw closer and lean in and pay attention to the wisdom that he has in store for us, which will save us and those around us from a lot of unnecessary pain if we take it on board. Jesus is the Holy One, referenced in Proverbs 9.10. Profound knowledge of him is the beginning of insight. He's also the Good Shepherd, who models for us what true discipline looks like. The one whose shvet or rod gave David comfort in his time of distress, described in Psalm 23. We only need to ask him and he will give us that living water, his Holy Spirit which makes all the difference between just having information and knowing something in the deepest part of our hearts and minds. I'd like to conclude by looking at one final proverb. It almost takes us full circle as Becky kind of opened with the wisdom of having a deep trust in God. But I really believe it kind of drives home the crux of the message that I think God's put on my heart this morning. This is Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord your God with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. The wording of this verse struck me because it really reminded me of a couple of things. 
If we flip backwards to sort of near the beginning of the Bible, to Exodus chapter 20, we come across the kind of crucial moment where Moses receives the Ten Commandments. And that's where God tells us, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods than me. And he goes on to tell us not to make idols for ourselves, saying that iniquity won't go unpunished, but also saying that he has a steadfast and unbreakable love for those who love him and keep his commandments. And then if we flipped forwards all the way to the beginning of the New Testament, to Matthew chapter 22, we find the Pharisees asking Jesus what the most important commandment is. His response in verse 37 is, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. It's kind of like, in case we might miss it, God made sure that this fundamental point was kind of wherever we might skip to in the Bible. If you have your right understanding of who Father God is, our true fear of the Lord, then it ultimately leads to this. Not cowering in terror, but complete and utter trust. The opposite of mindless following, we submit to him because we know more absolutely than anything else that he is both worthy of all our praise and all our trust. That is why we walk close to him. That is why we answer when he calls us. That's why we can traverse even the rockiest, narrow ravine in the valley of the shadow of death. Because he's there, guiding and guarding our every step with his rod and staff. And that is why we give our lives to him. Because he first, as the good shepherd, laid down his life for us. So maybe we could just take a moment to still our hearts before our Heavenly Father. As we wrap up this sermon series, we can find ourselves picking up a few helpful tips about doing life well and going our way. Or we can take this as a fresh opportunity to discover what it means to be discipled by Father God on a daily basis, to walk with the Good Shepherd, Jesus, moment by moment. I'm just going to invite you to join me in asking God, is there any area of my life where I'm not walking in step with you? Is there any part of my life, seen or unseen, where you're inviting me to come closer to you, to lean in and connect more intimately with you than before. I'm just going to wait on the Holy Spirit for a moment. Come, Lord Jesus. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.